Yeah, if you guys would turn to Second Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, it's just a, a privilege to be here and to be with uh, your church. Again, like Gideon said, this is just a, uh, you guys have something unique here, and I hope that you guys never take it for granted. Your leadership, you guys, just the care, and, and you know, there's been a lot of things that have happened here in our lives and a lot of experiences, and I'm going to share one today. Um, but just to say, we love you guys. Uh, we're knit at heart, you, but you don't know me probably, and maybe you said hi to me, but uh, we just love you guys and, and love your church. And so uh, make sure you guys just praise God for your church. Amen. All right. Well, Second Corinthians chapter 1, um, I'm going to share on a message that might speak to you and where you're at, because it definitely was a passage of Scripture that the Lord met me at this year in my life, and uh, it's a message that I have to preach to myself uh, often, um, and one that I was just reminded of as we sang worship. And it doesn't take long t- as you walk with Jesus to realize that trials and hardships are a near friend to the Christian, amen? Especially to the true believer, you know that it's constant the battles that we go through and that we face and the trials that come upon us to test us and to refine us to prove us and as people talk about trials there's a lot of different topics that pastors and teachers that are good that talk about such as counting it all joy when we go through trials uh, we'll hear teachings on that to count it all joy because we know what it's producing. Amen. We talk about, you know, asking for wisdom in a trial. How do I, how do I navigate this trial? And so we, we are taught to ask God for wisdom and don't doubt and don't be swayed, uh, like a, like a, a wave tossed back and forth in the sea. Uh, we're taught to be obedient in a trial that trials don't, uh, give us a, a license to disobey the Lord. That we're to be obedient to the Lord. These are such great things. And so today I want to add to that list that we often hear. And I want to talk about the comfort that is in the trial. The comfort that we are, that is found in the trials of life. And so, if you would, let's read verses three to four of Second Corinthians chapter one. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that, why, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so, Lord, we do ask and pray as we've opened up your word, Lord, that you would comfort us today. For those who are in a hard season of life who are going through trials who are going through testings lord whether that's lord by your sovereign hand or by our own sin lord that you would remind us that you are the god of all comfort in all our tribulations that you are not far away from your children in the hardships of life lord but you draw near and close to us as we walk through these trials lord and so i pray for anyone today lord who is maybe on the edge of just turning their face away from you because of the trial that they're in, Lord, that they would hear from heaven the truth of the word of God, that you are a God of all comfort. 
We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this morning. Speak to us now through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said. So Paul writes the book of 2 Corinthians in a response to Titus returning from Corinth to see how they had received the first letter that was sent known as 1 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, there you go. Paul, as a caring father of the faith, writes some very strong words in 1 Corinthians of correction and wanted to make sure that it was received well and that it was obeyed by the church because many false teachers were creeping into the church and causing divisions and causing uh, strife and confusion in the church. And, and then the church was very spiritual and, and were going off the rails, if you would, in their, in their meetings and in their church gatherings. And so when Titus comes back, he brings back first that they had received the word of God and they're obeying it. They're being obedient to it. There, there are, um, progress and the reception of the letter was good. But now there's these false teachers that are coming in, undermining Paul, undermining him as a, an apostle, as a, a pastor, as a father of the faith in order to undermine the message of the gospel. You see, if you can undermine the messenger, you often can undermine the message. This is why it's so important that you and I as believers care about our character because your character can undermine the message of the gospel. Not that you change or you ruin or you thwart the plans of God, but you can become a stumbling block in the lives of people. And so these false teachers are coming down on Paul and ruining his reputation. And so Paul, for the sake of the message, takes 2 Corinthians to combat the lies that they spoke about him and the false reports to remind the church and to give confidence to the church of the message and the messenger, the gospel that he brought. Now, one of the main focal points that the false teachers pointed out about Paul, check this out, was that he was suffering all the time. They used his suffering as a way to undermine Paul to, to then undermine the message of the gospel. You can imagine maybe them saying it like this, no man of God would suffer this much. If he's really a man of God, then why is he going through so many trials and sufferings and stonings and beatings and shipwrecks? He's not a man of God. A man of God, God looks out for the man of God. And you and I have, have heard such language from false teachers and, and false faiths, these name it and claim it, these prosperity gospel preachers that say that suffering should not be a part of the Christian faith. Friends, let me tell you, the, the main theme of the scripture is darkness and trials, and then God comes in and saves the day. If you are suffering, you are not disconnected and far away from God. And that is what the enemy wants to speak to you in the midst of a trial. Trials and sufferings are a part of the Christian walk. It's because we're Christians we often suffer. And so Paul writes to them, to these false, to against these false teachers, and especially in this first section, that not only is suffering and trials a part of the Christian's life, and they are, for the true believer, but check this out, in the suffering, there's a God of comfort that meets with us in the midst of a trial. There's comfort. 
And so I want to share with you guys what it looks like and, and, and the God that walks with you in your trial. In verses 3 and 4a again, one more time, let's read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations. And so in order to start this argument and fighting back against this false belief in the first chapter, in the first beginning verses of 2 Corinthians, Paul opens with these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins with this word blessing, a eulogizing God, praising God. Vine describes the word to blessed as to praise, to celebrate with praises, that which is addressed to God, acknowledging his goodness. You know, three times in the New Testament, we read this phrase, blessed be God. Three different times. Can I, can I share with you the first two? In First Peter Chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter starts out his letter in 1 Peter by eulogizing and celebrating God for His goodness as it pertains to our salvation. And don't we love to praise God for His salvation? Amen? We could say this with, with Peter, blessed be God. Would you say it with me? Blessed be God for our salvation. Well, then Ephesians chapter 3, Paul opens up this letter with this, blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So Peter praises God and blesses God for our salvation. Paul opens up his letter to the Ephesians by praising and blessing and eulogizing and celebrating the goodness of God as he thinks about all the spiritual blessings that we have because we are saved. And don't we love to praise God for the spiritual blessings that come in Christ? Amen? We would say with with Paul, would you one, two, three, blessed be God for his blessings. And the third place here is in our text. As Paul opens up a very honest and raw book with a eulogy, a celebration of God's goodness because of His mercy and comfort. Now, I am very thankful for the comfort and mercy of our God. Yet sometimes I can and we can find it hard to eulogize and celebrate God because of His goodness as it pertains to His mercy and His comfort. Because listen, often God's comfort is the greatest when the circumstances are the hardest. And rather than celebrating God, when trials come into my life, I end up criticizing God or I end up complaining about God or I end up complaining about the things that I'm going through. And yet Paul here in our section disciples you and I as followers of Jesus to the right response when we start and we begin, when we're in the middle and when we end a trial by saying this, would you say it with me? One, two, three, blessed be God for his comfort and mercy. I don't wish to be in trials. I don't think any of us are saying, okay, Lord, I pray for a trial today. But when it comes, we can still praise Him. Amen? We can still praise Him. So He eulogizes God here in this first section. And I want you to notice that He distinguishes 
our God, Yahweh, in two different ways from all the other gods that the Corinthians uh, knew about, the God and goddesses that they knew about. Would you notice with me? He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first way that he separates our God from all other gods is he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the God that I'm talking about, Paul would say. I'm not talking about any of those little G gods and those idols that man has made. I'm talking about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he distinguishes him one other way and what this God is like. That he is a merciful Father and the God of all comfort. The God that we serve stands out among the rest of the so-called gods of that time and our time today. You see, many people today worship a God that they have to appease, that they have to prove themselves to. A God they don't want to get mad at them because they don't want to go through the trials or the sufferings. And so they work and they work and they work. And then when the trial comes, all of it just falls out because, man, I just didn't do enough to please this God. It's a works-based relationship that they have with God. And they believe that God has even done this to them, the gods that they served. And it breaks my heart at times because even in the church today, we view the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort as we would, maybe the Zeus or Allah. And we come to Him with hesitancy and, and a fear. And we come to Him thinking we got to do more and do more and do more to please Him. And, and if we're in a trial, then we think that we've done something wrong. And so we, we rummage through our life and we try to figure it out what it is. But my, my friends, listen, that's not the God we serve. We don't serve the God who stands with his, his hands crossed and lightning bolts in His hand ready to strike you down when you mess up. In fact, we serve the God who comes down when the things happen in our lives. We serve a God who steps down into the mess. Paul here, we, we learn from the blessed be God's text that He is the God who saves. He is the God who blesses us in Christ. And He is the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And you need to know that today in the midst of the hard circumstances that you and I face. He's not this judgmental God if you are in Christ, but He is a Father. He's a Father who wants to comfort us. And notice what it says in verse 4a. It says, This God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all tribulation. Now, it's one thing to say He is the God of all comfort, but what if He never actually comforted? But that's not the God we serve, amen? He's the God that has all comfort, and He is the God who does comfort. The word comfort here is the word in the Greek parakalesis, which means to come alongside of, to comfort, console, to exhort, and it also has an idea to strengthen. Now notice, would you please, the word in front of um, the comfort is all. He is the God of all comfort in all our tribulations. And the word tribulation means to suffer affliction or to be troubled. It has a reference to suffering due to the pressures of circumstances or that which burdens your spirit. Have you guys ever been in a, a place of tribulation? You've ever been there in those moments when it feels like all the pressure on every side of you is closing in? Where you wish that you could just say, no, not today, and yet it just comes anyway. You've been there before. You don't want to go through it, and yet there's nothing you can do. Have you been there when the damage is already done? 
There's no turning back and no fixing the past. Have you been there where it just feels like there's no escape? You might have described your season this way. Maybe the doctor came in with news and your back is against the wall. Have you been there before? The thoughts of what you might need to say at a loved one's funeral because it it happened so soon and so suddenly. How is life going to be from now on? It's not going to be the same. You ever said that before? Maybe the question, why, why, why? Or even the frustration and that burdensome numbness of saying, I'm okay, and you hate it because you're lying. You've ever been there before. Or maybe when passages like Romans 8.26 is all that you can do, where it says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Have you ever been there in a season like that? This describes the word tribulation, pressure, troubles, the burdening of the Spirit. But God, even in all of that, even in that moment, even among those words being uttered, even in those those terrifying... You know, you've been there where it's like the thought comes in and then you wrestle it out and then it comes back in. And even in those moments, guys, this is what Paul is saying. That He is the God of all comfort in all we go through. It doesn't say He has some comfort for some situations. It doesn't say He has all comfort for some situations or some comfort for all situations. The Bible says that He has all comfort for all situation. And all in the Greek means all. Thank you, you guys are Greek scholars. He is the God of all comfort for all of our sufferings. Write this quote down. Paul Apple says this, Our trials can never exceed the ability of God to comfort. Our trials, the trial that you are in, will never exceed, will never surpass, will never be too big for the God of all comfort, the ability of God to comfort you. There is no trial that you will go through that God can't say, all comfort for all trials. That is the God that we serve. He has all the resources and all the wisdom and all the experience to comfort you for what tribulation is before you or might be on the way. And you might say, how can I be so confident of this? You know why? It's called the gospel. Because God came in human form and in the likeness of sinful man in order to live among us and to take on the sin and temptation that you and I face and to go through the tribulations of life that we go through. And he went all the way to the cross to take on the penalty of our sin in order to save us. The comforting God saw a world lost and suffering in their sin and he became the comforter among us in Jesus Christ. The comforting God came as a comforting Savior and died an uncomfortable death that you and I may be comforted forever. This is why I can say He has all the resources and all the comfort for all the tribulation because He has been through it all. And it was in the place of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus felt all the pressure and tribulation that He was going to go through for you and I. 
The Bible teaches us that his heart was heavy and he was pressed until he broke out in sweats of blood. And in a prophetic word sung by the King David about this very moment in the life of our Lord Jesus before he went to the cross, in Psalm 69.20, I just want you to just listen to these words. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. Ready? I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, and I found none. Jesus found no comfort for his sacrifice for us. Yet now he has become the greatest comforter you and I could ever know. Amen? You remember when they tried to give him the, the drink, the mixed drink on the cross, and he, he refused it because he was going to bear all the discomfort upon himself. All the penalty of our sin. No numbness, no medicine, no taking away the pain. He went all the way for you and I so that we may be comforted forever. He is the wonderful counselor. You see, when Jesus was in the garden, he looked up and his disciples were asleep. He looked up and he saw a disciple, Judas, coming with a deceitful kiss, with hostility from the Jews and the religious leaders to crucify their Messiah. John 1 says this, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him, and He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. He looked for comfort, and He could find none. But today, my friends, in Jesus Christ, we can look for comfort, and it can be found in God. Amen? So all this to say, guys, he knows what we are experiencing and what we are facing in our lives. He went there and then some for you and I. He knows what it feels like to be in tribulation, pressure, trouble, and pain. And he comes to to us. He comes to us. That's why we get so much comfort when we read in Hebrews 4 verses 14 and 16 that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold fast our confession. Meaning this, don't give up in your trial. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. There's our word, the Father of mercies and find grace to help in time of need. That is the comfort we find as we seek God in a trial. You need to know today that in the midst of trials, that the God of all comfort is with you. He is alongside of you as you go through it all. And as we know this, we will then be aware of His comforting hand, and we will be able to say alongside of Paul, blessed be the God God for His comfort. Now, there's another aspect to God's comfort, and we mentioned it in the definition. He not only consoles us, but he strengthens us in the trial. God could be like a coach at times who comforts us and makes sure we're okay, and then once we're okay, he picks us up and he brushes us off and he goes, okay, let's, let's keep going forward. We have a mission. We have a goal. And there is an end goal in our trials, There is an end goal in the reason we go through tribulations. It's threefold. If you're taking notes, the first reason we go through trials, number one, is to prove our faith. To prove our faith. 
Spurgeon writes this, fiery trials make golden Christians. God sends us into trials and allows such things so that our faith would be tested and we would come out more refined. Again, you've heard it said, uh, you cannot trust a faith that has not been tested. A faith that has not been tested, this is what it is, I forgot it, I'm human. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the Lord comforts us by strengthening us to prove our faith. The second reason we go through trials ready is to make us more into the image of Jesus. Because of our sanctification, trials then form in us Christ-likeness. As it brings us to the end of ourselves, we can then begin with the beginning of Jesus as we go through trials, as we trust Him, His strength, and we take on His attitudes. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, the Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined, this is what we've been predestined to, believers, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's goal in our life is to form us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so we, He allows trials and tribulations to come upon us, and He strengthens us in it so that Christ may be formed in us. Amen? And the last reason we go through trials, and our text will explain this, is to make us comforters. To make us comforters. John Henry Jowett wrote this, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. So we as believers have been comforted and experienced by the mercy of God during the trials. And so as recipients of these great characteristics of God, then it ought to be found among us as the church. We are comforted by God to reflect Him and His comforting to one another. And so God strengthens us in trials so that we might be a merciful and comforting church. Look at what verse 4b says. He says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Paul tells us in verse 4 that the tribulations that we go through and the comfort we receive is not only for us to grow, but is for us to be comforters to those in any trouble. Now he doesn't say we have all comfort for all tribulations, but we have been comforted to comfort anyone in any trouble. Now this means this, that while you and I will never go through the same degree of suffering, 
Because you and I are unique, we, we might go through the same exact thing, but we can never perfectly know how it was for us because we're all different. The Bible says, though, that we have the same God, the same Father, we have the same God of all comfort, and so if we have been greatly comforted by God, then I can at least give some comfort to you in any situation. And to remind you and to be there for you that what you're going through, the Lord is near to you because he was near to me in my suffering. Amen. And some of us might think, you know, well, I can't really comfort. I haven't been through much. The greatest thing that you can do often when somebody is going through a trial is to be a listener. Some of the greatest comforters in my life have just been great listeners. Don't be Job's friend who tries to explain all the reasons why they're going through a trial. The Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. You can't, sometimes we don't know why we're going through a trial and we may never know. The Bible doesn't say try to figure out your trials. He tells us as the church, comfort one another in the trial. So this tells me then that God did not intend for you and I to go through trials alone. That we each individually are God's comfort to one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27 says this, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now, verse 27, he says, You are the body of Christ and members individually. Now, I am not a doctor or a nurse. I know some of you guys are. But I know this, that when my body hurts, it sends aid and blood and oxygen and everything my body needs where I'm hurting to try to restore itself. And if God so set our physical bodies in that way, then it it should be found in his body as the church. Amen. The thing about (laughs) here's our problem. Our bodies do it naturally. Can't say amen, say ouch. When one of us is suffering, it takes obedience to be a comforter. I mean, we talked about this this weekend. It takes you laying aside your own ambitions to care for somebody else in the church. It takes not only caring for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. My physical body responds to God more obediently than I do to the Son of God who has comforted me. And that should put us to shame. Guys, we ought to obey God in this command to be comforters. Now listen, you might, not, you might say, I don't really know my place in the church. Have you ever been through suffering? Every suffering opens up an opportunity for ministry. Because you and I have been comforted by such a great comforting God. Welcome to the ministry of comfort. You might say, I don't have a place here. You can just say, I'm a comforter. Amen? I can say, I am a comforter because Christ has comforted me. Guys, your hand on the shoulder of someone going through it could could feel in that moment for them like a touch from the Father in heaven. Your hug and your grasp of somebody going through a trial could be like the hug of Christ from heaven. Your listening ear reminds them that their father listens to them as well, even when it sounds like our prayers are bouncing off the wall. 
Guys, you and I are God's comfort to one another. Oh, while God does comfort you, and if nobody comes around you, this doesn't mean this isn't true. But it can be much more a deeper reality in our churches if we comforted one another with the comfort that we have received from Christ. Amen? And so this is a call for all of us individually to be a part of the ministry of comforting others in trials, to be available, willing, and approachable. Are you a person that people can come to when they're suffering? Do you make yourself available to be approached if somebody is suffering? So how are you doing in fulfilling your ministry as a comforter? How are you doing reaching out in the meet and greet? Are you looking? Do you have eyes of compassion to see people and where they're at? Now, this goes on the other side as well. It also means that we have to be honest to one another when they ask, how are you doing? Because I'm a liar, okay? (laughs) I'm just saying, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's like my whole house is burning down. It's fine. Just got a little cold, (laughs) you know? I can always make something a joke. (laughs) That's like my, that's the bad humor I have. I just laugh at my pain. And so it, it takes, it takes openness on both sides. It takes us slowing down a bit when we come to church and be able to stop and look and be available and not rush out. I know one of the Pittsburgh Steelers play, you know, you know what I mean? Like watching football or comforting a believer, which one is greater? Restaurants stay open late. You can always wait a little bit. Now, I get if you have crying kids, okay? Give me a phone call. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I get it. Kids are crazy. and They stress you out. But all joking aside, along those lines of comforting then, with the comfort with which we have been comforted by God, um, your very own Beck Green said this during Narrow Way, and I have just stuck on it forever. And he says this, that you and I are best equipped to minister to those we once were. That's good. I don't think Beck said it, but I'm going to start giving him credit for it. Uh, so Beck Green said, you tell him that. Tell him I quoted him. He'll, he'll get all blushy and, and turn away. But, but isn't that so true? You know who can speak the language of, of, of uh, um, medical problems? It's people who have had medical problems. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, youth kids, you, you know who can speak the language of being bullied is somebody who's been bullied? You know who, if you've struggled with substance abuse, you know who can, who can speak the greatest language of substance abuse is once somebody who was once a substance abuser. I mean, you and I, so, so this is what it says. There are times where trials come upon us that we didn't ask for and it wasn't our fault and, and, and it happened to us. And so now we have a ministry of comfort. But even in your sin, because many of us have have stories where our sin has led us to suffering, In Christ, all of our pain is redeemed to to serve somebody else. Isn't that amazing? Our our pain, God never wastes it. God never wastes a trial. And so if you have been through something and you hear that someone's going through it, God is calling you to ministry. And to minister that comfort that you have and the wisdom that you have and the, you know what, even to speak the language of like, this is like, this is how I thought in that time. And that might just speak volumes to that person because they're like, I thought I was crazy. You ever felt like you were crazy? 
And then somebody talked to you and you're like, no way, I think the same. You know, it's like, then we're both crazy, you know. But it, it's the truth. So God never wastes our pain or trial. Now I want to I want to um, give an illustration of this, and it's very personal. And I will try not to choke up over it. But there have been some crazy stuff just in my life. Again, I'm sure you guys have been through crazier um, this past summer that has just sent me through loops. You've been through seasons like that. And actually, the first one happened when I was here. I was downstairs uh, during Narrowway. I was getting ready to teach on um, that God is the God who sees you, Elroy. Okay, I was getting ready to teach. I was studying it, and uh, okay, my wife was pregnant when I left, and uh, she called me on Facetime. And she had her ultrasound appointment. And, uh, I mean, you guys know it. She had a miscarriage, right? And she said, you know, there's no more baby. And so uh, that was an ex- unex- unexpected, right? I mean, I didn't expect it maybe to hear how, you know, it's the size of a pea or, you know what I mean? Like what, whatever the size of the baby was. But my baby died. And so I got to come up here and... Uh, cry with Xander and Beck in the back room. But you know, God used even right there in that moment for me to tell all the kids that God still sees me. Because you can feel unseen, right? When you're going through a trial, you're like, God is not near. God is not here. And I got to preach by faith that God saw me, even, even in that moment. Um. And then right after, I, I, I had to leave here. And then the next day that I got home, we flew to Georgia to speak at a youth conference. So I'm preaching out of weakness. And I got home and my mom was having some heart, you know, they were just wondering if there were some things with her heart. And so she goes in to get a stint. And her widow maker, if you guys know what that is, uh, was 99% blocked. Uh, her, it started to just shred while they were in there. So emergency open heart surgery. Uh, she was the 1%. You know, the 99% of people come in, you know, they give you that. Well, you know, she was the 1%. And everyone was on high alert for her. And so I was just like, what is happening? So here I am. My baby died. My mom might die. I'm wondering, what will I say at her funeral? Like, I would tell them, you know, my mom has the worst sense of humor. Like, I don't know. I was just thinking of all the things that I might say about my mom and in life, I'm like, what is happening? You know, within two weeks, what is happening? And then I was asked because my dad couldn't preach because he was helping my mom. And this is where this message came from. And I cannot tell you how many people came up to me after I taught, even and some of the close friends who knew what we were going through before I even taught, who said, I have never told anyone that I have miscarried. And they stood with us. How many people came out and said, I had open heart surgery, and this is what God has taught me through it. Just just the other day, uh, a, a woman came in and just said, you know, my mom didn't make it. But your, the message you taught just reminded me of the hope of God. So, So all this to say, I told my church at home, I said, you guys 
went through that so you could comfort me. And I don't know what you guys are going through, but let me just speak the language of the brokenhearted that I'm I'm with you and I, I get it. I get the unknown, I get the fear. And right now, God is not wasting my pain because I get to comfort you guys and encourage you guys. And so I just want that as an illustration, not so that you can come pity me because I get anxiety, so don't, don't, please don't. But what I'm saying is this, is God never wastes your pain. And you may not have been able to have an outlet yet for the trial or for the abuse or for the pain of your past, for whatever it might be, but the Lord, the Lord will use it. We have to have eternal perspective as we go through trials. So be the comfort then in the trial to one another. And know that after the trial comes great ministry to comfort one another. A merciful and comforting God shall lead you and I to be a merciful and comforting church. Now I'm not saying that you got to tell everybody, but you and I could at least have a couple somebodies that we trust that when we're going through it, we can go to. I, I actually discourage airing out your laundry before everybody, okay? Uh, but that you could have a couple people and that you could be that somebody for someone who they can come to when they're in the midst of, sh- of trials and struggles. Amen? And like I said, if we're unwilling to be real with each other, then we are robbing one another from ministry opportunities. And so it's okay, it's okay to go through suffering and it's okay to talk about it. You don't have to put a mask on. You don't have to front. You and I can be real and honest. Like I, I told the guys this, that this room should be a triage center. And instead of nurses, it, it should have comforters. The church is not a hotel for the righteous. It's a hospital for the broken. It's here where God does a great work in honest and humble men and women. It's in the assembly when people stop trying to dress up the trauma and they come to to church as they are and they have those friends that they can minister to and be ministered from that God comforts us, God heals us, and God is seen so clearly in the midst of our trials. And so as I'll ask Gideon to come up for worship, I'll just exhort you guys here in South Pittsburgh to be a friend to the brokenhearted. The Bible says God is near to the brokenhearted. Be somebody who reflects the image of God and be a comforter. Be the friend that someone can go to. Be that person that you can be trusted in the place of brokenness. And so I would encourage you guys after worship is over, you know, maybe we can all, the elders and pastors can just kind of be up front. And if you need prayer, if you're going through suffering, don't leave. Don't rush home with the mask on and rip it off in the car and, and, and do it by yourself. You don't have to do life alone. That's why he saved you into a family. Amen? And so, Lord, I do ask and pray for anyone here who has gone through it, Lord. I pray for anyone maybe who has been just so blown away by what they've gone through in the past and why that they would, they would have somewhat of an answer, Lord. We don't always get the answers. But as the Bible says, the secret things belong to the Lord. But the things which He has spoken and He has made known are for us. And so, Lord, You have told us that while we don't know why, we know who is with us. 
the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies. And I pray for this church that they would be a comforting and merciful church as they have been comforted by the God of all comfort. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Use it all. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.